podcast informs listeners that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed solely belong to the host and not necessarily to their employer or any other group of individuals. It is not a research report. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. It is for informational purposes only and should not be construed otherwise. invest is to be unemotional about your investment. And sometimes the best way to be unemotional about it is to diversify. I talked about the diversification method as your age. If you are 30 30 years old, it's best to have 30 stocks. If you are 50 years old, it's best to have 50 stocks. That is just an assumption. If you are 10 years old, then you have 10 stocks. The assumption here is that as time grows, you are investing in more companies because more companies are being born and listed globally. So diversification is meant to be geographically global. Once you're investing in a company, it's not supposed to be just China, it's not supposed to be just Philippines, Hong Kong, Australia, Japan. You have to be geographically diversified. So the best companies are actually global in nature. For instance, a company like Procter & Gamble is evidently worldwide. It's in 130 countries. Or a company like McDonald's. However, um, not everyone wants to be exposed globally. Some people want to identify with a company that's growing in a certain market. Say you want to be exposed heavily in the Philippines, then a proxy for the Philippines would be your default SM Prime, SM Investments, as they represent majority of the GDP growth in the Philippines with all of their retail arm, malls, properties, bank, and so forth. However, once you go into China, it's the same thing. You can invest in consumption in China in several ways. You can do so through the shopping platform. You can do so through the payment platform. Shopping platform ideas we've given were Alibaba, JD, and Pintuotuo. Uh Payment gateway platforms that we gave was as simple as a Tencent and Alibaba. Although you could know that there are very definite of payment gateways, but they're not listed, such as Antinential. It's private. It's owned by Alibaba, and it is a subsidiary of Alibaba. WeChat is a subsidiary, or rather owned by Tencent, so owning Tencent essentially allows you to own the largest video game conglomerate in the world, but also the largest payment provider in China as well as the lending services of China as well as the super app of China and many more. They're also interested in going into cloud uh, businesses. So the nice thing about large companies, Goliath, is that they keep on trying to make money despite being already giant. That's why cash cows like an apple can trade at a trillion dollar market cap and stay there is because they are servicing a lot of people, not just the devices, but selling you 
a service, whether it be Apple Cards helping you pay your debts if you want to to order a credit card, maybe use an Apple Card. You can um, borrow money from Apple and pay Apple at the same time. So in effect, they're saying they're not a bank, but they are just better than what your digital bank today in today's life are. In the, yeah, so something like that. Um, the point of this um, exercise is that whenever I discuss to people that they should own more than 10 names, they suddenly get scared. But actually, it's not that scared. It's not scary. If my dad can have the names like Microsoft, Disney, Coca-Cola, Starbucks and Shake Shack and sleep well at night, that's just fine. In fact, you know, 10 cents could own like the big, the biggest in Japan, just um, Nintendo, Sony, you know, we've mentioned these names. Or how about KSC in China, which is you could get Young C. Or Kellogg's, which is also entering into the plant-based food business through the morning. Well, they already owned Morningstar Farms, but they're entering a new um new segment through Incognito. It's a new brand that they've created because there is a growing demand for plant meat-based products. The list goes on. I think what most people uh, cannot um, fathom is that they can actually own so many companies. And as long as you have an owner mentality, it's very different from a person who's just trading in and out. An owner mentality's discipline is to choose what he buys first, what price he wants to buy, and generally speaking, even if the company tomorrow fell down 5% or 3%, as long as the fundamentals generally hasn't changed, you really would have to check the next quarter or so and see if the business fundamentals have significantly changed to alter your view. Now, what if within a quarter that stock has already dropped 20%? Um, would you still continue holding if the fundamentals remain in place? Generally speaking, this is the reason why we diversify. Because should you hold the same company even at the 20% drop, if the fundamentals never change, then yes, you could still hold. However, remember that we are diversifying, and at best, we would not add into our losers. So assume that you put 2% or 5% weight in this position, if it's a loser, at most that 5%, if you're really, really wrong, what's 20% off on a 5% weight? It's a 1% shed down on your total portfolio. And I think that drop is something that can be fixed by other winners in the portfolio. The goal really is if we have winners, we try to seek uh, to find out why our winners are winning and hopefully add more to them whether adding the same position or adding, as I would like, the same industry because they definitely have a secular tailwind running within that sector or behind them. It should not be a surprise that, for instance, the semiconductor names such as NVIDIA, AMD, uh, companies like Micron, they've actually run up as a group. Uh, but, of course, what we want to do is find the leader amongst the group or at least find out the tailwinds behind the group, whether it be the 5G reason, 
whether it be the gaming industry reasons or the data centers or the self-driving cars, whatever it is that's driving the growth of the semiconductor chips, we want to know why. And it helps us form a decision and make better investment choices. So when one invests, it is true that we are not trying to buy today so that we can sell tomorrow. In fact, if it does go up tomorrow by 10% as much as possible, we try to understand why the market appreciated the position immediately after we bought. What is it? Was there a catalyst for this? Was it upgraded? Did they have a new revenue stream? Was there a catalyst? Was there something that changed that made the market more bullish or more bearish about the company? As much as possible, being impassionate about your investment is really seeking to be equally weighted or if you would overweight, you got to overweight only your winners. Now, this is hard because sometimes when you add on to your winners, you're increasing your average cost and thereby some people are also afraid that what if they add more and then the increase in price just suddenly immediately also drops. Well, one trick to do this is to add more on your winners over time and not on a single day's work. Uh, adding on to your winners will take at least quarters and quarters of growth. So assuming that you've entered a position on the first quarter, such as say AT&T, and then this third quarter, the market agreed with us and actually continues to continue buying AT&T. How the hell would you add on to your winner then a 30% higher move, considering we entered at about 30 to 31, and now it's about 37 to 38? And you're probably afraid that maybe when you add 38, not only did you increase your share position, um, you've also increased your average price, which might uh, have done cuckoo things on your brain now. So I think that the best thing to do is, um, generally speaking, uh, it goes case to case, but I don't like to add um, when there's already so much momentum. It's kind of weird, right? A lot of people like adding on momentum, but to me, um, if I missed the consolidation, which is around 34, 35 for AT&T, about a quarter or so ago, then I'll just keep it. That said, I wouldn't sell my winner. Uh, if it r rallies to 45 or 40 or 50 or I don't know where it goes, as much as possible, I would like to just hold on to the shares. Um, it might mean that the other people are better, that they've added onto their win winners, increased their winners. Um, so it, it, it's a case-to-case -case thing. But generally, if you're adding winners after significant quarters uh, and the market is agreeing with you, there should be a good solid strategy. This is still in line with the adding on winner strategy. But what I do is that I think about the concept why AT&T rose in the first place and how I added to my winners was to buy in the same sector in the same idea thinking. Uh, if you think about it, what made AT&T rise was because it was considered a value pick, a value stock. So what I did in my own portfolio is to find companies with the similar characteristics. I want to add on to my winner without having 
AT&T. That's why I told myself, hey, I want to buy something that's really good value, a household brand. So what I did was I added Kellogg's and Yum China. In a way, Kellogg's was me trying to um, transfer my old position of QSR. Mm -hmm. Remember that I used to have Beyond Meat. I used to have QSR. I used to play this plant plant meat product um, trend. And because I had to sell them already, uh, I had cash. And I wanted that cash to go somewhere that I could still express that belief that plant meat product as a secular trend is still going to grow. And the way I did it was through Kellogg's. Um, there is, um, there is, I didn't see if it provides yield, but what I liked about Kellogg's is that they had nine great brands. Kellogg's has the cereal corn flakes, of course, the Fruit Loops, Raisin brand. We all lived with um, these brands. They own Keebler, they own RX Bar, Nutrition Bar. This is the strongest selling nutrition bar in the U.S. Uh, they own Pringles after buying it out from Procter & Gamble for $2.7 billion uh, in year 2012. And Pringles has been growing quite well with the Kellogg's brand. Kellogg's has done a lot of snack foods. They have the Cheez-It spreads, the Cheez-It. The Cheez-It are similar to like Ritz crackers. Um, Cheez-Its are also partnered with Pizza Hut. So they've done some partnerships to further increase sales on Cheez-Its. Um, Kellogg's has, as I said, the Morning Star Farms, which is the, the their veggie burgers, their that's also where they are launching their incognito, which is their plant-based chicken nuggets, their plant-based burgers, and anything veggie-related. To me, um, Kellogg's is um, a well-known brand all over the world. Buying it does not mean that you're bullish USA. Actually, buying it means that you're just bullish on a company per se. When you're buying companies as large as Nestle, Kimberly Clark, Unilever, Starbucks. To me, they're a bit of a low risk rating. I put their low. I put them as a two over ten when it comes to risk. Two being low risk because the only risk I see about these names is that if the market is um, going to fall, then maybe they fall um, in line with the market. I don't see them. Um, significantly falling behind given that I checked the Kellogg's current uh, ratio. It's a $20 billion market cap, sells at about 15 times multiple forward. And um, these companies are in a segment of just pretty much just stable growth type of name. So with their sector as, as well, um, their sector has been very strong this year. Consumer staples as a group has been strong. Consumer staples such as Conagra Foods, General Mills, Tyson Foods, and so forth. So it's good to see that the sector is doing well so that the other businesses in the snack field will also continue to do well. Um, there's a tailwind that we are trying to play there. That said, so... I mean, in the Philippines, we did the same rationale. We felt that if the market is scary and uh, if the market doesn't want to do stock picking, the best thing to do is to just 
put the money into dividend paying stocks because if we're gonna put the cash in cash it's not gonna earn anything but if it's like put in dividend yielding names with cheap and with low risk i mean how do we define that the risk is low it's all about the valuation if you're buying pldt at 1110 today 1110 that's a good enough low risk proposition because at the same time you're collecting your 72 peso dividend uh, that's about 6%. That translates to 6% yield. You can also assume that PLDT in the next year would still be flat. If it doesn't grow, then at least it's flat. And at flat growth, assuming zero growth for PLDT, the company is trading at about 250 billion pesos market cap. And yet, you know, it touches a core income of about 24 to 26 billion pesos. So that's less than 10 times multiple. That's not that expensive. The same rationale when we, you know, when we pitched a buy recommendation on AT&T. The only reason why we're not playing momentum on AT&T is because this is a telecom stock. Although, um, yes, they have the streaming version, and yes, they're cheap, I still don't like to buy up value names because I like to buy value, so I don't want to buy high on value names. I'm okay to buy high when it's high growth names because I'm paying for the growth. But if it's value play, I just stick to one buying price and just hold on to it for as long as I can. But that's me. Um, so I just choose more value names if I can. So I added Kellogg's and Yum China for the position. Actually, I recommended um, another value play which I think is good, but I personally didn't put a position. The financials are actually looking cheap. As you know, Goldman Sachs is eight times multiple. You could argue that, well, a lot of Chinese banks are also five to six times multiple. In fact, the Philippine banks are so cheap. You could argue just buying Metro Bank at 67, 70 a while ago and assume that, hey, as long as this trades a little bit above book value, I'd make money because the book value is trading at about 70, 71. And virtually, Metro Bank does not really um, go too far from their book value. At, at the very least, then maybe it trades at 1 to 1.1 or 1.2, which gives you about 10% upside. And Metro Bank is, you know, they give a 2 to 3% yield that's decent. So not bad. Um, I would say that the banks in general, maybe in the Philippines, you could argue that there are so many cheap banks. And as long as they're consistently paying dividends, um, even, though, even the person who is so scared of the market would probably put a small position and just see how it goes after six months or after a quarter. Uh, we'll see. If the next quarter the market is better, then you would see these names significantly higher, maybe 5 to 10% higher at the very least. Uh, this was the same rationale when we advertised PLC at $0.70, cents, uh, cheap valuations for a gaming uh, play with decent 5 Actually, $0.05 cents is translating to about 7% yield, not bad. Same rationale with the 31 32 price range of um, Shell Philippines. 
10% yield, you might wonder why Shell or, you know, why companies like that with a huge significant dividend payout ratio would continue to trade this low. Well, it's about the fact that most people are afraid that oil is a dying industry. The secular trend for oil is going down, or so it seems. Therefore, um, a lot of uh, a lot of the companies that are refining, which is Shell, should um, continue to see their net income fall. But you know, after a big drop of 50% down, I don't foresee net net income of Shell Philippines continuing continuing to fall further down the road and as long as they could pay dividends for the next six months, which is on March, then I do agree that it does deserve a little position. Um, what we do is we can never say that our um, companies that we're pitching are correct, but we like the company, we like the story. I mean, I like Talaria, so I put the position. Uh, I do hold about give or take at at least 35 names right now. I've sold some. Um, this year, I've ha- I looked at my Excel. This year, I have bought 57 names in total. Philippines, US, Japan, London, abroad. You know, I've bought a total of 57 names. Um, that means that if I'm holding 35 names currently, that means I've also sold 22 names. Um, my selling of names would have been related to either my target got reach um, where a certain secondary offering happened and so forth um, or I had to cut losses on it and so forth. In any case, um, diversification is very important. There's three reasons why people will make money. Number one is the selection. Number two is the timing. But number three is risk control. Most important is risk control because you could really suck in your timing, but if your selection is good and this company will just keep on going all-time highs, new highs, then it's fine. Um, And then, um, but the risk control is what would help you because if you position too much and then you turn out wrong with it, it's going to affect the entire portfolio. And that's going to be a huge problem. Of course, in the the positive side, if you put a huge position and it goes well, you feel like super, you know, you feel great. But at the same time, it's hard to replicate that on and on again. So might as well, in my view, you know, just equalize it 5% weight on everything. Or if you have 30 plus names, then just 3% weight on everything. And whenever that price increases, your 3% weight would probably become 5% weight, then you could now shave off that extra 2% so that it still remains 3% weight. In fact, that was one reason why I was able to trim some of my winners so that I could buy more winners. Uh, that, that, that might find, You might find that kind of weird. How How is it that you are selling winners and buying more winners? Well, I just really diversified. Because if you have like a lot of video games and you keep on adding on video games, that's still considering adding on winners. Let's assume that you've added on your Huya and Zynga or your Tencent. Well, those are all video game exposed anyway. So it's kind of the same. Um, I would say that it is also good 
and you've noticed that since the dividend paying names have been doing well, we've I've added personally low PE names. Uh, I saw that my mistakes came from high PE names. I made a mistake on um, buying high quality companies. I like their stories, secular trends, but you know, it's not too reasonable. I understand the market doesn't want to pay high for high high growth, so I'm paying the price for. Um, being bullish on Major Judy, Slack, uh, Roku. But, I mean, I still like the company fundamentally. I just feel that the mistake here was my timing. Uh, I could have, you know, waited so significantly lower. But, yeah, that's my mistake. Um, so, usually, um, being a bit contrarian, it, it will pay off in the long run. But you have to be very sure that your weight is not enough to kill you. So let's assume that me. Okay, so I put a 3% weight position in Netflix. It falls about 9% from my entry. What do I do? Well, you know, I've bought it really with the plan to wait for the quarter, which is I know it's October, uh, October 12th. October 16, around that time, so I really will wait. In fact, when I buy a company, I really am correct. I really am the same with David Gardner, who would wear a jersey. And when it's, when, you know, when I say I'm, I'm there for Team Disney, I'm there for Team Netflix, I'm there for Team Roku, Team AT&T, I'm there for Team Telaria, I'm there for you. I'm there for that entire streaming trend. I'm there for that entire secular tailwind. And maybe I'm wrong in some entries, but I'm, you know, I'm there for the entire secular trend. And, you know, this is a case-to-case basis. I might be bullish on it. You know, I might be bullish on video games, and you aren't. And that's fine. Because we have to be bullish, and we have to invest in companies we believe in. Let's assume, you know, I am bullish with China, and you're not. That doesn't make me right and you wrong. No, that doesn't not. I mean, maybe you're bullish in some other country, and, you know, as long as you can um, have data and put that position on, and maybe that's great, because I know that um, Mercado Libre did very well this year, high-quality name. I wasn't able to enter this before, so if it goes down, why not? I mean, I'm just waiting, given that all high key names are going down the floor anyway, so I'd rather pick it up as low as I can. I like Starbucks, and if the, you know, it's a high PE name, if I could get it significantly lower, why not? What if I could get it 20% lower? Um, does that mean that if Starbucks fell 20%, that all the rest would fall 20%? I don't know. It's, I mean, I'm not shorting the market. A lot of people are trying to predict where this market goes goes up, goes down. I'm not trying to predict where the market goes because I I know myself that I'm not good in timing, but I do know the companies that I've bought. And as far as I can see, the data and how the price action is doing, it's just there. For, For all the noise and the headlines and everything that you listen to, I don't see a significant slowdown. At least it's not yet baked into the price. But of course, if like things start falling down 10% or so, you know, I'll be fast as well. I'll also be getting out, but I haven't seen it. I just see rotation happening. 
the rotation is happening. You have high PE names going down, low PE names going up. If it's a rotation to value, rotation to dividend, rotation to high quality companies at low PE, that's the name of the game.